When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. Uh, as always, we are joined with our super producer. Today, we have Alex Splash Williams on the ones and twos. Splash. Splash. <laughs> They're not all going to be brilliant. <laughs> brilliant hints about the episode disguised uh, as, a, as a middle name. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all right. No, we'll work on it, though, right? We'll work we, on we it. We always as promise we, to work on it, and we sometimes yeah. do. So recently, Scott, you and I received a great listener suggestion from a longtime friend of the show, Rudy. Yeah, that's right. Rudy Smith wrote in and said that uh, he says, I recall you did a podcast on amphibious cars, but I don't recall whether you covered the broader topic of amphibious vehicles in a dedicated podcast. Mm. Now, they're really fascinating vehicles and there are many types of them. Uh, the gist of the previous podcast, which I think may have been a high speed stuff episode, Whoa. Uh, which it was because I looked into this. A uh, long, long time ago. I want to say it's like 2009 when we did this uh, this last um, Amphibious Cars episode. 2009? Yeah, and he said, I think, and he's right. He said, I think it had to do with the question of buying an amphibious car instead of a boat. So that was kind of the, the thrust of the last episode. Oh, yeah. And so this one, uh, I guess maybe we can talk a little bit more about, um, well, first of all, it's a great suggestion. So thank you, Rudy. Thanks. Um, and some of these older topics, yeah, we need to brush up on some of them. I mean, they were either no. covered, you know, for... Sometimes there were 10 or 15 minute episodes mm-hmm. uh, to begin with. And then also we, um, well, we've refined our game a little bit. You know, we include more in every podcast now. Yeah, we're uh, we're what you could confidently call less worse. <laughs> less, <laughs> less worse is a good way to describe it. Yeah, that's a, I like that. Nice. Well, Very no, nice. seriously, but, uh, though, we do, we do. Um, in the beginning, we had very, we had shorter shows. Yeah, I mean, I guess we relied more on our notes back then, right? And mm-hmm. now we're a little bit more free form, I suppose. We're a little mm-hmm. bit looser, um, you know, with our conversation between each other, right? Yeah, yeah, a little sure, less yeah. scripted, I guess. Two thousand nine. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I know. So uh, I think we've got a lot to add to this one. It's not that there's been, you know, some dramatic increase in the uh, amphibious vehicles available or anything like that. And there's there's plenty out there, but. Um, we just didn't cover it in the way that I think we would today. So let's uh, right. let's do that now. How about okay. that? Okay. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning with just a a little bit of background and some history. 
if you check out our older podcast on amphibious cars, uh, you know, please be kind, but also don't worry because we're not going to duplicate too much information there. Uh, and that, that show will still be, what should we call it? Uh, let's call it worth a listen, but worth an update. Relatively relevant. Relatively relevant. I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm. So some of the earliest amphibious vehicles were, uh, this is weird. I didn't know it dated this far back. Uh, were in the 18th century, the late 18th century. We're talking like the 17, uh, 1770s. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Right. A, a carriage, right? An amphibious carriage, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, clearly it wasn't powered on its own. No, no, no. Yeah. That, not, that comes later. Not super glamorous. Yeah. Because remember, the horses probably can't go. Into a water of depth, right? Yeah. So we're talking about a carriage that people would push into the water and then pull out of the water. (laughs) Okay, a little low tech. But it was amphibious, and that was designed by a uh, prince, a a real-life prince named Raimondo di Sangro. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we know he designed it sometime around or before July 1770. And then after that, shortly after, uh, within about a decade, somebody else designed one <laughs> well what took so long a decade to design another one i guess maybe they saw it uh, on their travels and decided to uh you know give it a go mm-hmm. but then a little bit later around 1805 there was a steam-powered version of this so um mm-hmm. it was a more of a a steam-powered uh wheeled dredging barge and it has a name that i don't even know if i'm going to become uh, close to uh, getting uh, you know in this podcast but i'll try orter amphiboloso yeah, it sounds like it could be the name of a Beirut album. That's close enough. You know, yeah. it's it's some, something like that, right? Right, right. Uh, this so the important thing here is that this was powered. So it was powered by steam, but powered nonetheless. Yeah, built in the United States by a guy named Oliver Evans. Again, it was in eighteen oh five. And here's the thing, though, even though it was powered, it had its own steam power. Uh, there is some, you know, a little bit of dispute whether it actually traveled on its own. It ever, if it actually ever actually, uh, you know was able to steam on its own power on mm-hmm. land and in water. And Oliver Evans was one of the first steam engine builders a in pioneer. the United States. A pioneer in the uh, in the industry. And then get this, there's another guy that comes along a couple decades later after that. Mm-hmm. The guy's name is Gail Borden. And Gail Borden, you might recognize this name from Condensed Milk. This mm-hmm. is Borden of Borden's Condensed Milk. Uh, they designed and tested a, a sail-powered wagon <laughs> in 1849, um, and testing, I guess it, it tipped over when I got about 50 feet out. So yeah, because it was a decent wagon, but it, it didn't, uh, they, they forgot some things that you need to include with a sailboat. Yeah, like ballast. Right. I, I forgot about the ballast. So, uh, you know, the force of the wind and the sail toppled it over and, uh, and that was that. Um, moving on to about the 1870s, uh, we have to go to Canada for this one. Uh, yeah. I guess Canada and, uh, the northern United States, that area. And uh, this is where the logging companies powered had a, uh, a powered amphibious tugboat that they called an alligator mm-hmm. that could cross between lakes and rivers, which is a smart name for that, I think, by the way. Perf- yeah. Perfect name for it, an alligator. Now, again, this is not – you can find pictures of the alligator online, and it's not like the most high-tech looking vehicle, mm-hmm. but – but still, it does count as an amphibious vehicle. All right. And now we're getting into, I, I guess, what you'd call the modern era of amphibious vehicles, if you want to call it that. Because yeah. in 1905, 
there was a guy that had a vehicle. This is actually the first, um, I guess, the first amphibious car, if you want to call it that. The first amphibious petrol power carriage. And the guy's name was T. Richmond. And uh, this was a guy from Jessup, Iowa, in the United States. And uh, again, this is the first petrol-powered amphibious automobile. The automobile hadn't been around since about, uh, what, until about 1885, somewhere around there, 1885, 1886. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is 1905, and this is also a three-wheel vehicle, just like, uh, you know, the very first car uh, that was designed by Carl Benz. Mm-hmm. What, we're, what we're seeing here, this evolution, is pretty apparent, right? You know, we've got this still new technology mm-hmm. in, in the automobile, right, in the internal combustion engine. So the first question is, how can we take something that already exists and either improve upon the design or expand the range of applications? Mm-hmm. So, of course, you want to make a boat. You want to make a boat. You want to make a plane. You want to make a spaceship. You want to make a drill. You, you want to make all of the things off of the from this one core piece of DNA. Yeah, and, of an engine. Yeah, sure. And and the idea is that you know everything from about oh, well outside of these oddball ones that were happening before you know 1905 or around there. Um, once we got up into about the 1920s. Uh, the amphibious vehicles had these really diverse designs, but they all had a purpose. The purpose was, or there are a couple of purposes, really, uh, recreation, as you would expect. Sure. Expeditions, so, you know, for, for um, you know, forging new territory, I guess, if yeah. you want to say it that way. And uh, also search and rescue, and then, of course, military. And military, as we're going to see, is one of the most wide-ranging uh, applications, right? Yeah, and then all this came together, all the practical designs, the impractical uh-huh. designs, all that. Uh, around 1931, there's a guy named Peter Perel out of New Jersey, and his design, unlike all the others prior to this, could operate on rivers and on lakes and even in the sea. But and the other thing is that it didn't have to have firm ground to enter or exit the water because this one had a boat-like hull and it also had tank-like tracks, which is an mm-hmm. interesting adaption, finally. So, you know, we have uh, vehicles that – we'll talk about wheeled vehicles and tracked vehicles uh, mm-hmm. throughout this podcast because they're examples of each. In fact, we're going to eventually get to a list of about 10 mm-hmm. um, vehicles, and we'll go through really, really fast in this one. Uh, not our typical top 10 list that we do for <laughs> a full episode, but right. uh, just to mention them and get the names out there and you know let listeners do their own search and find out what they look like because there's some really interesting – thoughts and ideas out there still, uh, you know, in the modern amphibious vehicle world, I guess. Yeah. And I want to, before we go too much further, I want to divide them into some classes because not all amphibious vehicles are the same. Some are going to, this is something you'll notice, folks, when you look at these or when you are perhaps shopping for an amphibious vehicle, in which case your life is probably way more exciting. Than, yeah, uh, that, w- that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. So you'll see a range of these. Some are clearly adapted to spend more time in the water than on land. Mm-hmm. And some in others, the opposite is true. And it's just like a car that happens to float. Yeah. You know? Oh, like uh, the Sherp. Yeah. Like exactly yeah. like the Sherp. Yeah. It, can, it can handle itself in the water, but it's not the best water vehicle. Right. So there are uh, wheeled vehicles like an amphibious cycle. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Mot- motorcycle or bicycle? Bicycle. Bicycle. Okay. Yeah. Human-powered vehicle. Hmm. Uh, and, of course, ATVs, all-terrain vehicles, also have- count as amphibious, right? going to have to look up a photo of the uh, the bicycle thing. 
Got to figure out how that works. Uh, I can show you a photo. <laughs> That's probably hilarious. It's uh, yeah. Here, just oh. take a look and then describe it. I'm I'm surprising Scott here. He hasn't uh, seen this. Oh boy. Wait, yeah. have you seen this one? Uh, no, I I think I have it printed out somewhere, but uh, that is ridiculous. So yeah. it has these uh, this amphibious bicycle has six. What would you call them? Air bladders, orbs, orbs. Just uh, a huge white balls i guess yeah two are uh two are around the wheels they're inflated around the rim of the wheel and then there are four smaller ones one at each point right when you know um yeah what to float you at about like shoulder bars like yeah sh- float you at about shoulder depth in the water rather i'm not i'm not clear on how they pedal once they get into the water i just don't know ben maybe it requires contact with the ground which that's another thing you know Oh man, we're going all over the place. I, you know, you were you were doing some classification, right? Right. Yes. And I and I, I derailed that, yeah. so I apologize. But uh, but some I feel of these like vehicles, the bike was worth it. So, <laughs> take a look at the photos; you'll understand. But some of the um, some of these vehicles do require contact with the, the surface beneath right. in order to move. Uh, that those are the impractical ones. But uh, let's move on. Okay. So the, there are also amphibious cars, automobiles, car boats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Lots of those. Yeah. And one of them, I think we mentioned in our previous podcast was the Amphibicar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, one of, one of the things about just to spend some time on the cars, uh, one of the interesting things with the cars is that most engineers have been searching for the, the holy grail of amphibious vehicles, which is a vehicle that is as fast and as efficient in the water as it is on the land or on the land as it is in the water mm-hmm. at this, at this point. Well, I don't want to spoil the future yet, but for most of the history of this technology, you could choose one or the other. All right. I have a, I have a, a, a viewpoint on this and I think we'll get to it eventually, but I want to say it now while we're thinking yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the, you know, the top 10 list with, with some examples, but they're getting closer. They're getting closer to making a car that is a decent car uh-huh. and a boat that is a decent boat in one package. Uh, but the thing is that you're going to have, and this is, this is the way I feel about all of these, you're going to have a, a kind of a goofy-looking car and you're going to have a goofy-looking boat. You know, it's not designed as a, as the best-looking boat out there. It's not designed as the best-looking car. Right. It's kind of this uh, this mix of the two. And it never quite seems to look exactly right. I mean, it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to translate um, once you take that vehicle into the water, or once you take that vehicle out of the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, there's just something to it. It just doesn't quite do it for me. I don't know. Maybe maybe other people have different opinions, but um, to me, it just seems like it's never quite the full thing. Scott, have, have you ever heard of that phenomenon called the uncanny valley? Yes. Yeah. So the this is a psychological thing, but I think it applies here. The uncanny valley effect it describes this discomfort people experience when they're looking at something that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. So, but you can't quite place exactly why it's not. You right. You can't say exactly what's wrong, but you know something's off. And we hear this described a lot with um, people who get weirded out seeing maybe a uh, a stuffed animal or like a wax sculpture that's lifelike. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think it happens when people are watching computer generated images and video games. Yeah. Of people, of people, of people specifically. Yes. Um, Because they've almost got it. Almost. Not quite. Not quite. Maybe 
maybe when kids born today are in their twenties. Yeah. Um, but the, or maybe faster, but the, uh, the reason I bring this up is because a lot of amphibious vehicles, even the ones that are, you know, 90% boat or 90% auto, mm-hmm. they still look weird. And maybe sometimes they're good enough that you can't quite say, why does that boat look so ridiculous? Yeah. Well, some of the features and some of the, the functions that they have to perform, uh, you know, um, require that they have that look. And, and again, we'll have to get through to our list at some point in yeah, this, yeah, in this yeah. podcast and, and we'll maybe be able to point out some of that. And if you want to follow along at home, please do because, uh, <laughs> you know, there's some interesting ones out there and some look better than others in my opinion. Uh, but, but they're doing a decent job of now, a decent job. Right. Of trying to blur the line between car and boat. Before we get to the, the list, we, we will say that we have, we have some other examples here. So oyster boats. That's one thing we didn't talk about. Oyster. Oh, you know what? That's a perfect example. Because they're fishing, yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea because, uh, you know, you think about when you're hunting oysters, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, you know, right when the tide is, well, when the tide is out, so you're in the kind of muck and mud yeah. uh, on the shoreline, that you need something that is able to drag itself across the shore and then also if the tide comes in, be able to, you know, I guess get back to the dock, right? Right. So it makes sense. That's a perfect use for a vehicle like this. Oysters. <laughs> well, you going to say it like that the whole episode? Well, I guess we won't bring it up too often, but say it like that now. Sure. Why not? An oyster, oyster boat. Oyster boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having so much fun yeah, so with there's that. There's oyster boats. There's ATVs, right? Right. Yeah. And then uh, it's difficult to overestimate the role that uh amphibious vehicles played in war in world war ii yeah you know we had um i say we uh the human species had uh numerous amphibious trucks of which the uh the dukw duck was mm-hmm. probably the most successful is a six-wheel drive amphibious modification it looks a little it looks like someone took the chassis of a truck and then stuck a boat, boat yeah. hull on it. Yeah, like rammed it through the bottom of a boat. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. And we can explore more of the historical military applications. But for now, I would just say that the big divisions we should know about is that there are tracks. There are tracked amphibious vehicles, like Scott had mentioned the earlier one with treads. And then mm-hmm. there are wheeled ones. Um, there are a couple things that I feel are kind of gray area. So for instance, some vehicles are not built to necessarily be amphibious. They're built to be water resistant such to the point that they can like wade into deep water. Okay. You know what I mean? Like past where a normal car would get water in the engine. Yeah, I got it. You know what? Well, before we get past military, I want to mention yeah. um, one thing. If anybody is around the Lane Automobile Museum up in, uh, I think it's in Tennessee. I want to say it's right outside of uh, Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an, just an amazing place. We've talked about that uh, that museum in the past, you know, the basement tour and all that. They have a Lark vehicle there, an LARC. Um, it's it's one of these huge amphibious vehicles that carries tanks or used yeah. to carry tanks. Uh, it's a wheeled vehicle, but it's enormous. I mean, you don't get any kind of sense of scale of this thing until you see somebody standing right next to the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of photos online of this thing, you know, the one that they have. And uh, there's really an interesting uh, video of them bringing it 
to the museum. They had to drive it through downtown, you know, wherever it was delivered from. And <laughs> it's wow. kind of funny. They did it late at night, of course. And they're pretty rare, and, too, right? They're pretty rare, yeah. I mean, to, and this is a, a running, driving example. And uh, they've, they've crushed cars with it and stuff like that in the past. I know they've used it there at the museum. But anyways, I thought I'd mention that they have one. But that's another example of, you know, a, a vehicle that can carry, like, I mean, somewhere around 60 tons of cargo. You know, from from water to land or vice versa. It's insane. We should get one. Yeah, definitely. Just to have around the office. <laughs> That's a great, great idea. It could be the office. We had, there's a, there's a lake over, well, okay, a pond over in that, uh, park across the street, you know? Oh, okay. We Perfect. Could, we could do like tours. Yeah. Look, Scott, in this economy, I'm just trying to come up with some hustles. Oh, it'd be, it'd be fun. You know, in a lot of towns, a lot of tourist towns, you find, uh, they run those duck boat tours, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the, the vehicle that we're talking about, but the, you know, the large scale version that can hold, you know, 25, 30 people. Uh, those are a popular thing for people to do. I mean, and it's gotta be a blast. I've never done one. I've never done a, a duck tour. And that's because every time we go to a town that has one and yeah. as I see it, you know, cause you see it driving around town mm-hmm. with a load of people having fun and you think, I want to go on that. Whenever you call over there, they're always full. They've always booked it, you know, weeks or even months ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get onto one of those things. So uh, I would love to do it sometime, but it takes a lot of, you know, pre-planning. And some that's prior. That's not my game. Yeah, some prior production. Yeah, I just uh, don't do that. Well, speaking of things that we're not going to do, I don't think we should open the uh, hovercraft bag of badgers today. Because hovercrafts technically can be amphibious vehicles. That's true. Yeah, that's right. But I feel I feel like they are a little bit different just because their their function, their mechanical function, their process of locomotion is sufficiently different yeah. to put them in another category to get altogether. I, I, if we stick with uh, the vehicles that are that are tracked or uh, you know, um, you know wheeled, treads of some yeah, kind, yeah, yeah. or wheeled, uh, I think that that's probably doing uh, some justice to this topic today. Although, if you are interested in hovercrafts, uh, and you have never heard of a chronoplons, check our check out our uh episode on that. They're not quite the same thing. Uh close. They're very close. Yeah, we might have was that the same episode? It might have been the same episode, but No way, um, seriously. Yeah, maybe. I'm do you remember sure. when I went through that a chronoplon phase? I, I do, yes. I just I wouldn't shut up about these things. <laughs> They're fascinating. Yeah, they really are cool. <laughs> but uh let's explore uh let's explore some types of amphibious vehicles. After a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, 
a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And Ben, I think we were going to talk about some specifics now, right? Yes. All let's, right. Let's uh, drill down into the actual vehicles themselves. All right. Well, um, you know, a couple different things here. We're going to get to uh, uh, this list of 10 in just a moment. But I want to bring up one company that is making something that kind of made the rounds um, on social media not too long ago. Mm-hmm. You might have seen an RV that could uh, that was amphibious. A full-scale, like, motor coach RV. I'm talking about the big, long ones. I don't know yeah. what length this is. It might be 60, 70 feet long. I'm not exactly sure. The ones that look like a charter bus. Yeah, exactly. The enormous RV. It was built by a company called CAMI. Now, CAMI stands for Cool Amphibious Manufacturers International. And this was founded in 1999 by a guy named John and his wife, Julie Giljam. I think it's Giljam. I hope it's Giljam. Anyways, they're out of uh, South Carolina. And they started this uh, this amphibious business. Uh, with an operation on Hilton Head Island, which sounds like a good place, right? And they had mm-hmm. a, a tour company called Cool Stuff Tours, and they had it for many, many years. And they ran with this old, uh, again, a Lark 5 vehicle, like we had talked about, that was used uh, back in 1963 during the Vietnam War. And they ran around with this, and it kind of it became cantankerous. You know, it became uh, you know more trouble than it was worth, really. Mm-hmm. And they decided they needed a new vehicle, so they were going to build a brand new vehicle, and they called it the, the Hydra Terra. And they built it from the ground up, so it's a it's an all original vehicle, and you can find photos of the Hydra Terra online. It's it's again something he built from the ground up, so it's a it's a unique design, pretty interesting. I think it's bright yellow in the photo that I'm looking at right now, uh, but you know this really uh, this this wasn't all he was destined to do. I mean, this right. guy decided that you know this is I, I can I can build these vehicles that, that can go on water, can go on land. Why not make one that's really, really plush, really comfortable for, uh, <laughs> I don't know who the, the market would be for this really, but you know, you've seen probably the photos of this RV in the water. It looks, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to, it looks pretty ridiculous really because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really outwardly look like a boat in any way. I mean, maybe the front is a little bit different and this vehicle is called the Terrawind Amphibious Motor Coach. Now it's, it's a luxury motor coach in every way. And it's got a, a giant bathtub and marble floors and leather furniture and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Just like any other luxury motor coach would have. Right. Uh, but you can drive it right down the boat ramp and into the lake. And it looks absolutely ridiculous in the water. It does. It really does. But um, it serves its purpose. It's watertight, right? And yeah. uh, and able to do what they say it would do. So 
I guess somebody would want the thing. I mean, I don't know if they've sold this one or if they hang on to it, if it's their own vehicle. I'm not sure. Have you watched the videos? I, <laughs> no, I've only seen the still photos. There's, there, I didn't know there were yeah, videos. So of you this. can see it rolling but, um, in <laughs> and the way, the way that they have the uh, rear of the, the rear, the rear of the vehicle has a nice design where it, it opens up like a back porch. So there's a little bit of, you know, like a fishing dock. Oh, like a swim kind of, platform. Yeah. Or a swim platform. Oh, cool. Yeah, right. I guess it's multifunctional, but it, uh, well, I mean, to me, it looks top heavy. It looks like it's going to tip over, but I know it's, yeah. I know that's taken care of in the design, but, um, it appears to be top heavy. It feels like it's a, it feels like it's for lakes. You know what I mean? Like small, smaller bodies of water where there's not a lot of open, um, water movement. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see uh, well, that. Well, a lot ways. of these, a, a lot of these amphibious vehicles, I'm glad you said that because a lot of these amphibious vehicles, um, require, Calm waters. Uh, they're no good in, in heavy seas. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're not going to take them out onto the, out of the ocean. You're not going to take them on anything more than like a small lake, you know, that's sheltered in some way or in a storm. You definitely wouldn't want to do that. They're just, they're not built for, uh, heavy waves. A lot of them aren't. Um, one that probably is though is called, um, this is an unusual one. This is one I shared with you earlier, Ben. It's called, um, the the seven point one meter sport rib, and I know that's a name that doesn't doesn't really roll off the tongue or anything. Right. But the sport rib, and it's by a company called Sea Legs, which is a great name, Sea Legs, mm. and uh, they make this amphibious vehicle that looks a lot like um, it's kind of like a, a Zodiac inflatable, if you can imagine that. Yeah, and then it has two wheels at the back and one wheel at the front that um, kind of lower, almost like uh, like like. Uh, landing gear on an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And, and a Delta uh, design. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Delta design. You're right. And, uh, they, um, they pivot down and see, I think you could transition to the water, you know, and like, I'm talking like three, five seconds, something like that. It's really, really quick. Uh, but you drive in and it doesn't look like it's meant really for, uh, much on road use, really. It, it looks like it's more of a boat than it is a car. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea I think behind this one is that it allows you to launch your own boat. Um, so if you don't have a, a partner, a helper, somebody that can help you, you know, uh, back the boat up and, you know, unload at the dock and everything, mm-hmm. uh, this makes it just a lot simpler. You can drive right down the boat launch and right into the water and then drive right back out at the end. Um, and it, it shows, um, all the features of this thing. It has all wheel drive, <laughs> which is a three wheel <laughs> drive. Yeah. Kind of funny. Uh, it has an automatic braking system. So it has, uh, yeah, it, well, they call it ABS, but <laughs> okay. Um, it has extended run time. I guess there's a battery for that. So for extended run, uh, power steering is another thing that it had power steering. What does it need power steering for? That seems kind of crazy. I mean, you know how it is. If you're trying to sell something, you got to list all the features. What are you going to try to parallel park this thing? Maybe. I mean, take a look at the photos of the uh, the 7.1 meter sport rib by Sea Legs, and tell me what you think. I mean, clearly this is a boat that uh, that can make it onto land, but it's definitely not intended to be driven on on city roads, really. Right. Yeah, I completely I completely agree. It's kind of like an around the marina type vehicle, I would think. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, I, and you might have to parallel park because marinas can get crowded. Well, I guess so. <laughs> and maybe maybe there's not enough room at the dock, so you just park it in the lot. Oh, you know what? That's pretty smart. Maybe that's what people are doing. Maybe yep. they're they're well, uh, hacking the parking situation. I, I guess you're right. <laughs> They'd kind of work either way, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'll just float this sucker. Why not? You know, that, that might work actually, but you know, it's, it's just, it's got some funny features. And again, it's just kind of an oddity, you know, that when I'm sure that it's, it's fun to own one of these, uh, for the looks you get at the marina when you're, you're cruising around. Hey, when you want to go to our, uh, our top 10 list. Yeah, let's go. Um, 
to the top ten? Yeah, let's do that. And uh, there's a couple of them here by uh, uh, the company called Gibbs. Now, Gibbs is something that we've talked about in the past. I know we talked about the Gibbs Aquata, mm-hmm. which is going to come up. But there's a new one here that I don't know if we've ever mentioned, the Gibbs Quad Ski. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So it's it operates both as an ATV and a personal watercraft, almost like a jet ski and a four-wheeler combined. Uh, it's a four-stroke top speed of 45 miles. And here we go. Here, Remember we had talked earlier about the historical quest for dual efficiency. Yes. Right? Yeah. And most amphibious vehicles were either great on water and awkward on land or great on land and just kind of frail in water. Sure. The Gibbs is not really either. It has on both land and water a top speed of 45 miles per hour. Not bad. The cool thing is when you get in the water, the the wheels will retract. Yeah. And kind of fold up, so it's got a little bit of a transformer angle too. Yeah, a lot of these have that feature that you know the uh, the, the 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 wheels retract almost like landing gear in an aircraft would, uh, so that they're not you know, creating any kind of drag underneath. And uh, you'll find that with a lot of the vehicles that we're talking about. Now, this is this one in particular, this Gibbs Quadski is one that I think blurs the line better than most of them on this list. I think that, you know, as you said, the performance is good on land and in water. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a look that, you know, it it looks enough like a current jet ski that, or, you know, a personal watercraft, that uh, that it can pass for that. I mean, if you don't look closely enough, you know, from a far enough distance away, you might not even understand or see that there are wheels attached to this thing. Right. It has that look. And then I would guess that on land, it's just as capable as a, as a four-wheeler, mm-hmm. as an ATV. Um, there's a little bit that I, when we get to uh, another Gibbs vehicle here, I wanted to give you just a little bit more about the quad ski along with uh, right. the Aquata. Uh, but the next one on the list here is uh, the old Amphicar. Yeah, you can't go wrong with the Amphicar, which I think I referred to earlier in the show, but I said Amphibicar. I'm sorry, it's Amphicar. I just think Amphibicar is a cooler name. It probably is a cooler name. This but they, car, they didn't ask me. Well, it's a car that was built in uh, Berlin, Germany, in, mm-hmm. in West Germany. Um, about 80% of the vehicles, however, that were built there were sold in the United States. And I think that they thought that there was going to be um, – a lot more of these purchased than were initially. So they made a whole bunch of them. So there's a lot of parts and pieces available for these cars. So if you're a collector, I know, I know they're, they're somewhat rare. I mean, you'll, you'll find them here and there. And I'll, I'll tell you in a moment, just a place where I've seen a bunch of these together at once. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of parts and pieces available. If you will ever find one, if you want to restore one. Yeah. They were what? 61 through 65, I think. Yeah. And they only made, 4,000? I think, I think they sold 4,000. They sold 4,000, but they made more. Yeah, they made, again, they made uh, the parts and, and, yeah. you know, stuff for, for lots more. So it's all out there. You can get the stuff for it. And, and one place that I've seen one recently is, uh, many of them, I should say recently, is in a place called Disney Springs down in Orlando. It used to be, I think they used to call that area downtown Disney, but, um, you know, it's kind of like, um, Oh, maybe it was like Pleasure Island. I can't remember what they called it in the past. It was where all the bars and the restaurants and the okay. shops and all yeah. that were. Um, they still have all that, but they call it Disney Springs now. And they have a place called the Boathouse. And the Boathouse will offer like a lunch and, uh, lunch and a cruise. Uh, or I think they call it the lunch and launch or something like that. And it's a, you know, like a package deal. Mm-hmm. Or you can just buy the boat ride if you want to. Uh, but they have a mini fleet of these amphicars that, you can uh, you can just you know go for a ride out or on their uh, their little lagoon area there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long the ride is. It seems like it's about ten fifteen minutes long, somewhere around there. Uh, but you're in an, a genuine, authentic amphicar. You're not driving. You know somebody else is is taking care of that for you. But you get the thrill of being able to drive down the boat launch and right into the lake. 
pretty cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I could stand there and watch that for hours, it seems. It's just, it's really fascinating. And people are just so excited when they, when they do it, you know, when they do that for the first time. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, let's move on to the next one, which is, uh, the Gibbs Aquatic. And this is the one that we've covered in the past. We've it talked about so it. so cool. It does, it does look pretty cool. It's, it looks fast. Um, I think that this is the one that Richard Branson used to cross the English Channel, right? I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. something like he did it like one hour and 40 minutes and six seconds, which is a new record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a car that was never really sold. This is just a, you know, he did it in a one-off vehicle, one that they, they provided for him. Yeah, that um, was in March of 2004. Yeah, and the reason that it never went on sale, I think they were ready to go into production. Because uh, this is a car that, that you know, we do 100 miles per hour on land and 30 miles per hour on the water, or 26 knots, I guess we should say. Not too bad. Yeah, not bad. And that's, it's not terrible. Um, but the engine supplier, who was a uh, um, rover at the time, went out of business right around that right around that time. And um, the other thing that was, was going wrong for it was that U.S. safety regulations wouldn't allow um, this vehicle or wouldn't approve it for street use because they required things like airbags, which <laughs> this is kind of crazy. Airbags on this vehicle, if you if you can picture this, every time you hit a, a big wave, uh, <laughs> there's a danger that the airbags would go off. Right. And they said we can't do that. And you know the the, um, uh, the U.S. safety regulator said, well, I'm sorry, you can't we can't uh, license this for use on the street. Um, you know maybe it'll have <laughs> maybe it'll have some use you know on on the lake or whatever, but or on private land, but. You're not going to street legal. You're severely limiting, uh, you know, the uh, the potential pool of people that want to buy this vehicle. So and there were other things too, but um, the the uh, the, re- the reason I wanted to bring up the uh, the quad ski again though was yeah. this is kind of like Gibbs' uh, return into uh, into this amphibious vehicle thing because uh, because it's an AT- ATV, it has a lot fewer requirements. It doesn't have to be certified for on road use. Mm-hmm. It's an off road vehicle mm-hmm. and an on on lake or on pond vehicle, I guess. Uh, so they don't have to worry about all the restrictions that they did with the the Gibbs Aquata. So it's yeah. going to work out. Hopefully. I hope so. <clears throat> because so far, that's one of the uh, more stylish vehicles we've seen. Yeah. Uh, next up is the Rin Speed Splash. Yeah. So, yes, it is the same Rin Speed as the tuning firm uh, out there in Switzerland called Rin Speed. And in 2004, the same year that Branson traverses the English Channel, uh, they built this vehicle, the the Splash. So the Splash is a little bit confusing. It can go 31 miles per hour on water uh, if it uses this hydrofoil design. Yeah. It can cruise in water like a regular boat, you know, like under 30 knots. Mm-hmm. But on land, it can go 124 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, you talked about the uh, the hydrofoils, right? Yeah. So it's a hydroplaning vehicle with hydrofoils underneath. And so what that means is you've probably seen vehicles like this that yeah. when at speed, uh, the whole the whole boat raises up or whole vehicle raises mm-hmm. up. And it looks like it's on a couple of sticks, really. But there are hydrofoils underneath. Uh, so it's about two feet above the water surface. And the only thing in the, in the water at that point is the prop which is driving it and the uh, and the hydrofoil. So it's very efficient on the water, very fast on the water. And uh it's it's a good design. It's really cool. I mean, it's got a 140 horsepower engine. It can get up to 62 miles per hour in about 5.9 seconds, which isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh the maximum speed on land is 125 miles per hour and on water, 
I think, I think Ben, I think they said you can get up to it can get up to fifty miles per hour on the water if the oh, hydro, 50? with the hydrofoils. Okay, uh, but I, but I think um, the thirty that you had mentioned was with no hydrofoils. I think that's like cruising like a regular boat. Oh, okay. a boat yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of drag, um, but you know, when, once it's up on those foils, look out. And that's the thing. So yeah, the foils do retract. I, I was interested enough in this that I had to dig into a couple of different videos to to it, see how they set it up. It's a strange design. It really is. I mean, they are, it's a, it's a folding V. I mean, they, all these have incredible folding capabilities. It looks like they, again, like transformers or something, almost like, or like, it looks like an origami yeah. vehicle uh, that, that <laughs> folds itself up. But uh, the next one is kind of cool. There's not a whole lot of information about this that I was able to dig up, but it's the, called the C rotor. And it is a Lamborghini Countach that is designed you go on the lake now. Strange looking, of course, going through, going through the water. <laughs> um, I, I I love the Countach design. I always have, but uh, this t- to me, Ben, I don't think I would invest in a a floating Lamborghini Countach. Why? Why not? I, again, I just don't think it's going to have the same performance on land as it would uh, normally if it wasn't also a boat. You got to dare to dream, though. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I think mean, about think about what schmucks all those other uh, Countach owners are going to feel like when you're racing to the lake and you keep yeah you know what I can't do it <laughs> I wouldn't buy it either yeah that, a guy named uh, Mike Ryan I guess put this together and he designed it to be amphibious of course and he said you know it, taking a uh, a luxury sports car and turning it into an amphibious vehicle is very very expensive and he said I think the glass alone he mentioned cost over three thousand dollars to do so technically three thousand and seven. <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a funny idea. I mean, it really is, and it it makes for good photos, really. Um, but I just don't think that uh, combining the two in this situation is a good idea. Just with the way that the body design of the Countach, it does look like it could be. It, when you just see the top of it, it does look like it could plausibly be a submarine. Now, wasn't there a uh, I guess submarine? Yeah, wasn't wasn't there one of the cannonball runs where the opening scene? I think a Countach skips across the lake. Uh, like a flat stone would skip uh-huh. across the lake. Yeah. That's kind of a cool idea. That's a cool idea. Yeah. I mean, if you can do it, sure. Uh, okay. The next one on our list. Yeah. We're, we're getting back to Gibbs again. Yeah. We're getting back to Gibbs. It's the Humdinga. <laughs> and that is D I N G A. That's a real Humdinga. Uh, it is a five seater. This is a concept vehicle. Uh, it can do 160 kilometers on land and 65 on water. They, this is relatively. This is newer. It was announced in February of 2012, and they wanted to use it for remote and hostile terrain because on land, this is four-wheel drive. Oh, yeah. And you look at this. Now, to me, what this looks like, it looks like the old Lamborghini truck. You remember the, yeah, L- yeah, yeah. the LM002 or LM02 or whatever they called it mm-hmm. uh, that was built in the late 80s and early 90s? It has that look. It has a similar uh, body style to it. Uh, or a Hummer or something like that, you know, something very, very uh, um, squared off. Uh, it doesn't look a whole lot like, you know, a, a boat does to me, you know, for, at least in this photo anyways, because uh, usually those are sleek. You know, they have uh, more aquadynamic lines, I right, guess. Yeah. This has none of that. Uh, it seems like it's very, uh, very squared off. seems like it would be poor in the water, but you're saying that it can reach uh, speeds up to 65 kilometers per hour in the water. So Yeah, that, it's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Uh, the next one. Well, the next one, this is another one that kind of blurs the line. It's got a, it's got a strange appearance. It sort of looks like a Corvette. It's, it's called the Hydra Spider. Yeah. And the reason it looks like a Corvette, I guess, is because it's built on a Corvette driveline. You know, the Corvette LS2 six liter 
V-Eat engine. It has around 400 horsepower and about 400 pounds-feet of torque. Um, it, uh, again, does 125 miles per hour on the land. Um, and on the, on the water, it can get up to something like 53 miles per hour, which is 85 kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. Again, it looks a little bit like a Corvette, but there's something a little off about it. You know, there's it's a little a, an uncanny valley. Well, that's it. it. Yeah, I mean, the wheels retract again. Of course, that's one thing that makes it look odd. Uh, it looks like it's going very fast in this photo that we're looking at here, but um, it almost it almost appears like it's doing it. the way that the um, uh, you know the spray the mm. uh, uh, the tail is coming up off of this. It looks like it's almost doing a burn burnout on the water surface, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it looks, does. Uh, like smoke almost, but so that that doesn't look out of place. But the front end looks so strange. There's a little difference to it. It's like there's, you know, vents where there shouldn't be vents, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, cutouts where there shouldn't be cutouts. Mm-hmm. And of course, the wheels retracted. That makes it look strange. But um, again, it has kind of a, cor- a Corvette look to it. It's not terrible, not not awful. And again, fast on land, fast on water. Um, yeah, blurring the lines again. I'm interested to see what. With that in mind, I'm interested to see what you think about the next one on our list. After a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have returned, Scott. Scott. 
Scott Benjamin. Oh. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about number three, the Doberton Hydrocar? Oh, boy. You talked about a weird-looking front end. <laughs> the Doberton Hydrocar. Now, this is a uh, uh, this is a custom built, of course, and yeah. uh, uh, boy, I don't like this at all. It's just too it's just too much going on there. It's too so much number, for you. Well, number one, it's yellow. It's school bus yellow. That's got it, so that's strike one against it in yeah. my book. Um, a lot of people might like that, but uh, I'm not crazy about it. It's an amphibious vehicle that, um, uh, well, it's got a strong engine. It's got a, a Chevy engine that has 762 horsepower. Uh, so it's, it's a strong car. It's a, it's a strange looking vehicle. I mean, it's, it's fully enclosed with glass. Mm-hmm. Um, very angular. I don't know how better to describe this. It looks like it's got, uh, pontoons on the side almost, really. It looks like it could, I, I guess I, I can describe it for some of the nerds in the audience. It looks like it could be in a Japanese anime. It does, yeah. It, it, everything is a sharp angle on this car. Mm-hmm. It's got a great big spoiler on the back, almost like the uh, like Lamborghini Countach would have. I like it. It's a lot, but it, it's got a really smart design. You too. do like it? Yeah. I like oh, really? It. Yeah, I like stuff like this. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I mean, I probably wouldn't make it my daily driver uh, just because you know, I don't usually have to drive through lakes. Yeah, get this. This car also sold on eBay for $130,000, despite not even being complete. The builder said that it wasn't completely dialed in, so they weren't getting the maximum out of that uh, 762 horsepower that right. they have under the hood there. But um said it just needed a few things to kind of, you know, polish it, to make it make it a final product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 130000 would you pay 130000 for that? No. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't. But... You buy a better boat, right? Like uh, you just buy a really <laughs> cool boat and a really cool car. That's true. I could, I, I would probably skimp a little on the boat, to be yeah. honest. Now these are this is just our opinions, right? I mean, these are just opinions. Check it out. See, that's that's exactly why I want listeners to kind of follow along with this list because the Doberton Hydrocar is, I, I think, one that would um, be a little divisive. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's gonna. You're either gonna love it or hate it. I think. I, I mean, so what I'm really impressed with though is the. Um, ingenuity inherent in the engineering here mm-hmm. like the the sponsons uh raising to become fenders and then lowering to create the hull i think that's kind of cool yeah uh okay i see we could agree to disagree well i mean it's creative i'll give them that and you know yeah, the person who put this together, they clearly spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about this and, and doing this and, and put a lot of effort into it. I don't want to, uh, you know, rain on that parade by any means, but I just, it's not for me. That's all. Here's another weird looking one. If, uh, well, that, that, you know what, that's why more, uh, Doberton Hydro cars for me, my friend. <laughs> I think there's fleet. only one. I think there's just one. Well, I'm going to get a fleet of them together. I'm going to contract out to FedEx and Uber. <laughs> Smart, real smart. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what about uh, what about number two on our list here? The sea lion. The sea lion is is interesting because the manufacturer or the uh, the guy who designed the car does not want it to be called a car. Really, he calls it an amphibious world speed record competition vehicle. Mm. Wait, say that again. An amphibious, amphibious world speed record competition vehicle oh okay it's just designed to set world records on land and on water well i mean it's okay it's not too far off from some of the other vehicles that we've seen though it might be a little faster um i think it's able to achieve 60 miles per hour on water yeah and uh, i think it's 125 miles per hour on land so again not terribly impressive compared to the even the other vehicles on this list so it's not like it's a it's a you know a a clear record breaker The, the thing i do like about this one 
yeah. is that it seems to me it almost looks like um and, and you have to kind of squint when you look at it this way but uh but it almost looks like someone dropped a mclaren into the lake i mean it yeah. has that mclaren look to it that that uh that the same type of shape as a modern McLaren has. Mm, like the low slung lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not exactly, but it's close. It's, it's close enough. And then it's got this really weird front end on it. And I would guess that's for, uh, for wave busting or wake busting. Yeah. I, mean, I think so. It's, it's, so it doesn't, you know, the, the waves don't just wash right over the front of the vehicle and submerge it. But again, when you initially look at the vehicle, everything we know about auto construction makes us think, that the guy is sitting backwards in it. Uh, it kind of does look that way. Yes, yeah. it, it sure seems that way. But still, I like that it's it's built just to beat world records. We have one more on the list here. Yeah, and then we've got a little uh, okay. uh, kind of a fun thing at the end. Yeah, a little anecdote for, <laughs> for everybody in the audience. Yeah, so we're not going to wrap up with this this final thing here, but this is the last one on our list. It's is called, it is it a jeep? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looks like a Jeep. Is, is it a speedboat? Uh, no, no, it's not exactly a speedboat. Um, it is Water Cars Panther amphibious vehicle. Now, the Panther is a uh, is, is, well, it's actually a California-based car company that designed this, and they designed it. Okay, here it is again, Ben, the world's fastest amphibious car. Uh, they they all claim this, right? Or right. they all want to be the world's yeah, fastest. Yeah. Um, but for 13 years, uh, this guy named Dave March, he was the founder of Panther, dreamed about building a car that would perform equally well in water as it did on land, like a lot of these guys do, Mm -hmm. a lot of guys and girls do. Um, He wanted a car that would reach freeway speeds in the water, and the result was this water car Python. Now, this is the first um, amphibious car in the world that reaches speeds, or road speeds over 125 miles per hour, and water speeds of at least 60 miles per hour. Now, where have we heard that three or four (laughs) other times in this list? Right, right. right, So maybe he was the first to reach it, though. I don't know what year that happened or anything, but um, it's funny that... They all want to be the fastest, but they all ended up at the exact same spot. 125 on land, 60 on water. Yeah, you're right. Kind of funny, isn't it? I there's, wonder if there's a hard engineering limit. I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that there is, really. I mean, it seems like it would be unlimited. Um, but the last one that we saw had almost 800 horsepower, and it was achieving the same thing. Ben, there's one quick thing that I want to add before we kind of wrap it up on this vehicle. Uh-huh. Uh, before we get to our final thing. Uh-huh. Um, this one, you know when you fly, you ever, if you ever fly and you look at those catalogs that have kind of um, luxury items, ridiculous yeah. items that are always priced really, really Sky high. Mile or Sky Mall. Yeah, something I like that. I, I, I think, um, yeah, and there's a company that sells this stuff and it's called Hammaker Schlemmer. And I, I hope I didn't, didn't get that name terribly <laughs> wrong. I'm, I'm sure I did. But um, they have a lot of just really high-end luxury items, you know, like these one-off type things. Um, one of the things they sell in that catalog, I guess, is the Water Car Panther they have sold in the past. And it was priced at $155,000 in that in that catalog. Ooh. So high-ticket item. Um, but it has like a th- U.S. dollars or Ben bucks. <laughs> I think that's U.S. dollars. Oh boy! Uh, but it has, let's see, it has a 26 gallon tank and a 160 mile range uh, on a 300 horsepower Honda engine. Um, but again, it does have kind of a Jeep look to it, doesn't it? And it looks like a boat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it, it's again one of those vehicles that uh, I think we're talking uncanny valley yeah. area here with this one. I do have to mention one thing. I would be remiss if we did not mention this. Okay. Before we wrap up. All right. So we talked about the Dobberton Hydro Car, a little bit divisive. Got, it has some brilliant design aspects to it. That's not the only Dobberton out there. This guy named Rick Dobberton who builds these things. Mm-hmm. And he built one that we talked about with our uh, an episode we did on RVs. 
uh, which you may recall, I'll show you the picture, the Dauberton Surface Orbiter. Oh, I do remember that. It's yeah. a converted milk truck. You guys got to check it out if you haven't seen it before. It has a really weird, all shiny chrome design. Looks like something out of the old Flash Gordon movies. Yeah, it looks very 1940s sci-fi, yeah, right? Looks and, like a spaceship. Yeah, and apparently he, well, the story was he wanted to circumnavigate the globe with this thing and he built it up from pretty much from scratch i mean took a milk truck uh container well i i can't see where there's a milk truck underneath that thing at all and it's tough to see yeah but that's that's still one of my one of my favorites it's just a beast yeah it's a cool vehicle you know and okay now i'm gonna add one other thing all right uh we just talked about the water car python right yeah uh water car also has an they have a newest the, their newest vehicle is called the fire rescue and it's built it kind of looks like a jeep um like a jeep wrangler or something like that uh but it is a fire safety boat and it's a u.s coast guard approved fire safety boat and it pumps water right from the the lake surface that you're on so they drive into the water and they pump the water from the the lake onto the fire if it's nearby like so this would be perfect for like a marina use or something like that mm-hmm. uh it, easy to deploy uh you know either on land or, or on the water um just it's a really a smart design if you look up water car and look up uh fire you know i think it's called the uh the fire rescue vehicle or something like that it's their newest vehicle uh but it can pump 1050 gallons per minute out of this thing so it's like a, a genuine fire boat almost uh, but it's it's this Jeep-based vehicle that you can then just drive out if you need to. And, of course, that's good for fighting fires, you know, on land, you know, nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has a lot of applications. It's not just on, on water use. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And so we see that although amphibious vehicles have often been treated as novelties, you know, or uh, toys, they do have real-world applications, not, you know, search and rescue uh, of course, military applications well, that continue today. And who would have ever guessed that, you know, the first one was in, what, 1770. Uh, the first The first powered one was, what, in the 1890s, I think. Mm-hmm. And then and then the first real amphibious car, I guess, was around 1905. Uh, but then in the 1920s, you know, all the way through about the 1960s, uh, they were actually fairly popular. I mean, if you can call them popular. I mean, there weren't a lot of them around ever, but um, that was probably their heyday, I suppose. Maybe, you know, the the 20s to the 60s. And probably the 1960s more so than that because there were strange concept vehicles that were out there. That I mean, I think uh, there was one. Oh, man, I got a note here that I wanted to mention. A guy named Brooks Stevens, he's an industrial designer, created something called the Evinrude Lakester. And it was a concept mm-hmm. from 1970. And this was a uh, doom buggy that you would drive a speedboat into. Like you would drive the – the. Um, if you look at this, you'll understand what I mean. It's like a boat that has a doom buggy chassis around it. Uh, so you could deploy the speedboat if you wanted to. It, mm-hmm. It's a cool design. It's a neat idea. Um, you'd have to check it out. You can find it on Hemmings Daily if you want to look it up. And, of course, as you know, longtime listeners, ladies and gentlemen, Scott and I typically walk out of every episode with a bunch of things that we didn't get to or that we remember when we're walking out of the door. But by gum, by golly, as people used to exclaim in the uh 1950s there was one story that was so cool that we could not forget it the amphicar had some famous fans perhaps one of the most famous here in the united states was none other than president lyndon johnson yeah his own amphicar and the funny thing is i guess he uh he liked to prank people in this vehicle right mm-hmm. so so it depends Tell us a little bit about what this prank involved so he had a uh he had a ranch in stonewall Texas. Mm-hmm. 
he was uh it was pretty big pretty big property right and so what he would do uh is he would take his friends quote unquote or people visiting him right mm -hmm. uh he would take them for a ride around the ranch in the amphicar in the amphicar which you know a lot of people aren't familiar with no they and wouldn't it have looks known. just like a regular it looks mostly like a regular car so he would drive people around, you know, and say, oh, this is the, this is the valley here and we grow this here. We raise lives like here, et cetera. And yeah, tour the ranch. Tour the ranch. Sure. And then there would be a steep incline toward the edge of a lake on the property. And then he would let the car just like roll rapidly toward it. And he would make a big deal kind of like stepping on the floorboard going <laughs> the brakes don't work the brakes won't hold we're going in we're going under and then it would hit the water <laughs> of course, could, panic panicking you imagine everybody. people panicking oh here. yeah they're probably panicking in the car right but but mm. then he would twist this on them too right at the end like when he you know he would of course laugh and have a great time with this once you know they, they realized the car was floating and actually yeah propelling itself through the water as but it was designed to do. One last twist. Yeah, the last twist would be that he would then turn it on the person that he had just taunted or had just uh, had just traumatized. Yeah, traumatized by saying, hey, you don't even care about your president. You were going to save your own skin. You're like, what, what about me? I'm the president of the United States. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's like your first thought was to save yourself in that situation. So it's like he's testing them almost. But what an unusual test, huh? He just sounds like a person – it sounds like it would be really stressful to hang out with him. I mean it's not a bullet. You know, it's not like you're taking a bullet for the guy. Sure. He wasn't asking you to jump in front of a rubber bullet like as a test or something, you know, like a, a fake out. But um, what would you do if you were in a car barreling down towards a lake? I mean you'd think, well, this is it. This, You know, this might be the end of us right here. Of course, well, our listeners wouldn't think that was it because they know how to save themselves. Well, yeah. In no, a car you guys are gone way underwater. too alert for that. Yeah. Would I be um, – would I be in the car with the president of the United States? <laughs> More specifically, would you ever get in the car with Lyndon Johnson? Now, I'd be kind of freaked out. <laughs> well, now, even then, <laughs> even then, probably not. That guy had quite a reputation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, w I would like to think that I am the kind of person who would save any president because, you know, any president of a country. Well, yeah, but you know what's funny though is like, you know, when he's twisting on him, saying like you you didn't even think about me or care about me. Mm -hmm. it, there's really not you, nothing you can do from the passenger side. I mean, the driver is the one that's in control or, or out of control. Right. It's not like they're being attacked by a tiger. Now, what are you going to do? Drag your feet and try to slow the car down? I mean, that's not going to work. I mean, it's it's just a, a crazy situation. And I think it was an open uh, open air vehicle too. I don't think it had a top. No. So no. anyone could jump out. I think you could get a top for them, but uh, yeah. but this was an, a convertible. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a strange idea. Well, it's well, a, funny. <laughs> I mean, a funny, funny prank. It's still pretty. I guess funny. I think it's it is. Still yeah, kind of funny. I mean, there's some pretty good pranks that have been played in the past by uh, some significant historical characters, and this, this is one of them. I guess right. It goes yeah. down in the history books. And imagine if you had an amphicar. Can you blame anyone? doing what is honestly just a spot-on great prank. And, you know, I think he did this regularly. It wasn't like a one-time thing either. I feel like word probably got around. Yeah. And there were people who were pretending to be scared because they wanted to get on his good side. Oh, they're expecting it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. you got me, Mr. President. Mr. President. You should pretend as if you're going to save his butt at that point. You know, like, uh, you know, yeah. what would you do? I guess what you would try to do is... 
pick the president probably I don't know if he's wearing a seatbelt, but pick the president up like by his armpits or something. Like you know, like the way you save drowning people. Sure. Right. Yeah. And then do the lifeguard swim to get him back to shore. <laughs> All the while he'd be yelling at you because now I'm the car is pretty sure he would be PO'd. Motoring off on its own without a driver. Yeah, I don't yeah, then you would be See, ruining there's no, the guy's car. There, there's no winning. There's no winning. There's no winning. No winning with this guy. But, uh, yeah. But uh we do hope that you have enjoyed our exploration of amphibious vehicles in a little more detail than previously. Again, we want to thank Rudy for the recommendation. And most importantly, we want to uh, recommend that you check out some of our other episodes on weird and unique vehicles. Again, I'm not, I'm not letting it go, Scott. A chronoplan. It's, oh, that's a good one. That's and, a good one. And we have an episode on the Sherp, which is another type of right. you know, um, amphibious vehicle. And there's an all-terrain vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an episode on how to get out of a car if it goes underwater. Oh, yeah, yeah. which is good. That's a valuable one. Uh, listen to that in advance. Yeah. Don't uh, <laughs> don't try to check that out on the website yeah. uh, when your car hits the water. Unless it's an amphicar, then you have time. Oh, sure. You can find all of those episodes along with every audio episode scott and i have ever done on our website carstuffshow.com uh you can also find a lot of stuff that doesn't make it to the air for one reason or another on twitter and facebook where we are carstuff hsw and oh scott do we want to stick with splash or do we have a different nickname i'll stick with splash i haven't come up with anything better oh all right okay all right you lucked out this time alex i mean splash <laughs> and this ends our episode, however, not our show. Tune in next week as we bring you more of the stuff that floats, flies, swims, or drives. And that brings me to an important point. We'd like your help. Our best suggestions come from you. Well, that's nice, you might say. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Ben. But how do I get these to you? I'm so glad you asked. You can email us directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.